Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey guys, welcome to the Bible study. Uh, Tonight, we're glad to have you with us. I am keeping an eye on my feed here, just trying to see once we go live. Uh, See who we've got with us tonight. Awesome. I see Joe's out there. Hi, Joe and Bill and Jan. Good to have you guys with us tonight. Uh, We'll give everybody else a chance to get on, give them just a few minutes here, and we will get started. We're going to wrap up tonight our study of Christ and Revelation. And if you have ever wondered how this whole thing we call life uh, and the world ends up, well, tonight you're going to get a little bit of insight into that. Now, I'm going to be up front with you. So, Uh, I'm not trying to uh, false sell anything here. Um, God doesn't give us a lot, I mean, huge amounts of detail. We're going to look at two chapters in Revelation tonight that will describe what eternity is going to look like, heaven's going to look like, and for our study, what Christ in those instances will look like. Um, However, there's a lot that we just don't know other than it's going to be amazing and incredible. But we're going to look at what God does tell us. My suspicion is one of the reasons he doesn't give us more detail than he does is uh, we probably couldn't fully fathom it anyway, and I believe eternity is going to be so much more beyond what we can imagine uh, that anything that might be said would just come up short. But we're going to dig into that tonight if you have interest in that. If you're with us tonight for the first time, welcome. We're glad to have you on our feed. Uh, Good to have you a part of Souls Harbor Church. Uh, We do a Bible study every Wednesday night. We'd love to have you join us each week. We also have a Souls Harbor Church page. Uh, We'd love to have you join that, and we broadcast our Sunday morning sermon on that every Sunday morning at about 11.20, so we'd love to have you join and be a part of that as well. Hey guys, tonight, if you could do this for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, Comment, uh, like, share, let us know you're out there Um, along the way. We love to, I I enjoy getting some feedback, so if you're enjoying something, if something's connecting with you or resonating with you, don't uh, don't hesitate to give us a thumbs up or a heart or make a comment or whatever. If you have a question, uh, throw it out there. We like to see interaction. And not only that, I don't know if you realize it or not, but that actually helps us be more effective in uh, having this feed pop up on other people's feeds. It, it just the way the algorithm works with Facebook. The more comments you have, the more interaction and more engagement and more um, opportunity you get. So do that. Jump, jump in. Let us know what's going on. Let us know your thoughts along the way. Uh, I, I'm looking at our feed. We got Sam and Dawn. Good to ha- see you guys tonight. Um, and we've got a few others that have jumped on and they've scrolled off, so I can't see who they are. There's Mac and Pat, but good to have you guys with us tonight. Hey, we're going to finish up Christ and Revelation, and then next week, just so you know, next week we're going to jump into the story of the Old Testament. I'm I'm really looking forward to next week and um, to this next series. It's going to be kind of a high-fly, high-altitude uh, survey of the Old Testament, and then we're going to do the same thing with the New Testament after that, so I hope you guys will tune into that as well. And um, I'm, I, I think it's going to be something you'll really enjoy and uh, maybe give you some new, broader perspectives on God's word and God's plan from the beginning. Hey, let's pray tonight and then we want to jump right into Revelation and our last week of study. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us, your word. And I pray tonight as we study the word of God together, even at a distance, let the Holy Spirit be a part of all that's said, all that's done, all that's thought. And I pray, let your word... Uh, just connect with our lives and apply to our lives and, and change us and make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So let's jump into this tonight. This is week six, as I've mentioned a couple of times, and we're going to be looking at Revelation 21 and 22 tonight. Um, so let me just go back over something that we covered week one and a number of other times. The whole theme, the biggest theme, the broadest theme, the most accurate theme for Revelation is this. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see that in chapter one. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. And we've watched that develop right along as we have gotten into this study. And tonight as we wrap it up, I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind. Here's something that maybe you never considered before. I, I never had. I, I knew it but I never really put the pieces together. Uh, this letter uh, uh, of Revelation, which tonight we're going to look at a little bit about the New Jerusalem, it was written, most scholars believe it was written somewhere towards the end of the first century. So we're probably talking uh, somewhere between 70 A.D. would be really early, uh, probably more like 90 A.D., maybe even a little bit later than that. Well, that ends up being about 20 years after uh, the temple and Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans. Now, here's why that matters. This letter was initially written uh, to the Jewish church. Uh, granted, it was in what's modern-day Turkey, but it was written to the church at a time when Jerusalem no longer existed, at least not in any semblance of a, 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 of a sin, any sense that it had ever existed in the past. It had been destroyed, it had been uh, wiped out, and, and it, had, it had just gone through some horrendous things. So when John comes to the end of this letter and the churches begin to hear this letter, and they begin to hear about this new Jerusalem, I, I want you to stop for a moment and just imagine if your home, your uh, your, your religious center, your spiritual center, the center of your people had been completely wiped out. And here comes John talking about the new Jerusalem. All of a sudden, for me anyway, it takes on a, a whole new meaning, a whole new um, level of hope that it would have given to that first century church that I don't think we today in America probably fully appreciate. But I, I just want to take a moment and, and mention that. I want you to see that when this was written to the, the church uh, in Turkey and, and the Jewish people uh, after Jerusalem had been destroyed. What a promise, what a hope it would have offered to them. As we get into this tonight, you'll see a little bit as we talk about the new Jerusalem. So what we're going to do is start in chapter 21, and we're not going to hit every verse, but we're going to work our way through a number of them, and we'll see Jesus uh, and who he is, who he's revealed to be, come along uh, as we get into the study. Well, I want to start with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I want to just, I want to talk a minute about that concept of the sea was no more. Now, we've talked right along about the reality that Revelation is apocalyptic literature. There's a lot of symbolism in it, and it's not always completely clear where it's metaphor, where it's symbol, and where it's literal reality. And this is one of those places. Now, it could be that in those, um, in in the new new heaven, the new earth, when it comes to pass, that there will truly be no sea. Um, however, it's and and that's that that's a possibility. God is going to make all things new. We see that here. But it's also possibly possible that this was more of a medical, metaphorical um, uh, term or metaphorical idea. Because I, I want you to stop and think a minute. For those of you that are more familiar with Revelation, this will maybe connect with you a little bit better. But where did the the beast and the false prophet? Where did the monsters, uh, the the beast and, and and the horrendous evil things in Revelation come from? They came up out of the sea. Not only that, culturally. 
um, many people, many of the ancients would have seen the sea as a place where there was evil and where evil came from. Uh, think about the de 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 demoniac, uh, even in the Gospels, he was near the sea. So it, it could be that, that, that the, the, the message that John is trying to get across here is that the sea was no more. In other words, evil or the source of evil is no more. And, and we know that to be true because we looked last week at chapter 20 and we see that we're now in a time where Christ has taken Satan, he's taken the beast, he's taken the false prophet and those that followed them and they've all been cast into the lake of fire for eternity. So the sea is no more. In other words, there will no longer be a source of evil. Now you say, Pastor Barry, I don't believe that. I believe that's literal, that there really is going to be no sea. Well, okay, that's that's fine. You may be absolutely right, and it could be both, but I want you to understand the, the symbolism that is there because I believe that that certainly is a part of the message that, that God, through John, is trying to convey to us. Let's go on and look at verse 2 and verses 3. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem has been destroyed coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, just a couple of things there, a couple of thoughts. The first one is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. We're back to that whole concept of covenant relationship. I, I, I believe that's a piece of this that we don't want to let go of. In, in other parts of the New Testament, Paul, for example, compares the marriage covenant to the covenant that exists between God and his people. But in here, but here at this point, it's reversed. All of a sudden, we're seeing the, the idea of the marriage covenant, uh, a, a covenant, a, a relationship. Uh, a, I don't want to call it a contract because that's just way too simplistic, but it's a contract if you will, built upon a relationship, built upon love, built upon commitment, built upon obligations on both sides, based off of love and out of love, that is a covenant. And here, John is comparing the marriage covenant to the covenant that will exist between Jesus and his bride. Now, he's talking about the New Jerusalem, but it's those of us who are in the New Jerusalem who the covenant obviously um, exists between. So we see that covenant relationship uh, with Jesus. So we see G Jesus revealed in that way, stepping into eternity, and we will have that for all time. And, and a part of that is the dwelling place of God is going to then be with man. And one of the things we're going to see as we get into this study tonight is what was in the beginning in Genesis in the Garden of Eden now has come full circle and we're back to it. God's plan has been fulfilled. And, and I don't want to get too far into that because that's going to be a big part of next week's lesson, actually, what we're going to study. Um, but the dwelling place of God is with man, in, in, very similarly to how it was in the Garden of Eden. And, and it's going to be, once again, a relationship of love, a, 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 a connection of love, where God and man can dwell together. And the dwelling place of God will be with man. Now, let's look at this tonight. Let's go ahead and look at verse 22. We're going to jump down a little ways. I want you to see this. Another characteristic of this uh, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem is this. In verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So Jesus, God the Father, and Jesus will be the temple, if you will. Now, why is that significant? Well, a couple of reasons, and it ties into what I just read in verse 3 of the dwelling place of God. Old Testament, okay, Old Testament, 
uh, the temple was a place, and the Holy of Holies in particular, it was the place where God's presence dwelt. And it was a place you could only go to, uh, the, the Holy of Holies, once a year, and then only the high priest. But now we're being told that, that, it, that Jesus himself is the temple. Now we come to the New Testament. What does Paul teach us? He teaches us that we are the temple of God, that, that Jesus, that the, that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, us believers, those of faith, um, and we are the temple of God. But when we step into eternity, we're going to dwell together with God, and, and Jesus himself will be the temple. Um, so we have that ongoing, never-ending, deeper relationship than we've ever had before or that we can even imagine now at this time. We go on in verse 23. It says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So again, let's talk symbolism versus re uh, literal understanding. It could be either, okay? It's mentioned a number of times. There is no sun, there is no moon, and that very well could be, but it always seems to be the emphasis falls upon God and Jesus are the light. Now, think about the New Testament, okay? Jesus comes along and says, I am the light. I am the light to the world. We're to let our light shine as the Holy Spirit flows through us. So in all of those instances, I don't think we see Jesus as a literal light, but he is the light, the truth that is extended to the world. So it could be literal, but it's also quite likely it's symbolic that Jesus will be the light, the truth, the justice, the reality uh, of the world in those days. Is there going to be a sun hanging in the sky as we have now? This is the new heaven and the new earth. This is eternity. I have no idea. Is it literal and symbolic, literal or symbolic? I don't know. But don't miss that reality that when it talks about Jesus as the light, that, that just goes along with all that John taught and Jesus said about, about himself as him being the light of the world. At that point, he is going to be the light in the new heaven and the new earth. By its light, and so maybe this connects to the whole idea of Jesus is justice and truth, by its light, or if you'll allow me, by its justice, by his justice, by his truth, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So just another perspective, perhaps. Um, certainly not anything that we ever ought to fight over because, again, there's so much of what's going to be uh, in existence when we step into eternity that we just don't know. That, that we just don't know, but there are some really beautiful, amazing things that we do see as we read through Scripture. This actually is the, the follow-up or the fulfillment of a prophetic word given Isaiah 60, 19 and 20, where Isaiah said, The sun shall be no more, talking about this time, The sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory, and your days of mourning shall be ended. So again, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Who is he going to be then? He's going to be justice. He's going to be truth. He's going to be light. He's going to be the one that has done away with evil. There is no more source of evil in this time. This is what we're talking about, not just for a day or a week or a month or a year, but this is what we're talking about for eternity. This is what it's going to look like. It's going to be uh, an amazing time and an amazing thing. We go on then and we read in verse 25 and 26, and its gates, the new Jerusalem, its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Now its gates will never be shut. Now think about this with me, okay? Um, this Jesus is the temple, okay? His presence is there. God dwells with man. Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. 
Only one man could go there one time a year uh, on the Day of Atonement. Uh, but now we're seeing that the New Jerusalem, the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, and perhaps there will be no evil there. So all of a sudden, now we're living at a time where we can come into the presence of God, be in the presence of God constantly. There's never going to be a time where we can't be there or won't be there or shouldn't be, be there or won't be allowed to be there. Why? Because, again, the source of evil is gone. But not only that, all those that have made their choice, made their decision that they are not interested in following after God or being covered by the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb, they have made their choice, they have made their decision, they have gotten their wish, gotten their will, and they have been put away from the presence of God in that place that Scripture describes as hell. And so they're not going to be there any longer. Therefore, the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. This will be that time we call eternity. But nothing unclean will ever enter in, verse 27. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And here again, revelation of who Jesus is. He is the one through his sacrifice that makes it, makes available to all of us to have our names written in what Revelation describes as the Lamb's book of life. Or that book that upon judgment day, uh, those whose names are written down will be born again, will be saved. And we've talked about that in past weeks, not going to go deep into it today. But that concept of salvation, that concept of covenant relationship, that concept of the sacrifice of Jesus' blood covers us. Uh, it doesn't make us righteous in the sense that we become perfect. What it does is covers our sin so that when God looks at us, we are righteous before him. He is the one who allows us to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's look then at Revelation 22. Let's go to that next chapter. Then verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I, I, think about this with me, okay? We know in Genesis uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 especially, um, all things began in what's described as the garden. So we begin in a garden. But look at this. Look how it ends. And I titled this slide, this section, Ends at the Beginning. Because in many ways, the end is back to the beginning. We God dwells with man. Man dwells with God in loving covenant relationship. But notice this. We began in a garden, but where do we end? All right? Not in a garden. Now, it's not to say there won't be a garden there, but not in a garden. Now it says in verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city. Now we, be, we end, we began in a garden, we end in a city, the New Jerusalem. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Now, if you remember this from Genesis 3, the, one of the reasons that God said we must drive man out of the garden and place an angel there to keep him out now that he's ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because if we're not careful, he will eat of the tree of life and live forever. And, and knowing that, knowing that that evil would then exist, which existed in man would then exist forever, God said this cannot be. We cannot allow this to happen. And man was driven from the garden driven eastward out of Eden, Genesis tells us. But now, again, we're back to the beginning. The tree of life is there, and each one has the opportunity. Is that metaphorical? Is it symbolic? Is it literally a tree where you go up and eat? 
I don't know. I, honestly, it doesn't matter. Either way would be very cool, but the reality is eternity is going to be where we are and where we're living. Revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 tells us this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So again, we're back to the beginning. That The curse is gone. No longer will there be anything accursed. So um, all the things that were engaged, involved in the curse, all those things that have developed out of that initial curse, out of that initial sin, are gone. They are no more. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face all of a sudden. You know, it, it, we're, we're told Old Testament and, and, and later uh, to some degree into the New Testament that man cannot come fully before God. God cannot fully have sin or cannot have sin in his presence. Um, you think about Moses and him, and, and him hiding, being hidden in the cleft of the rock as, as a por just a portion of God passed by. But now notice what it says in verse 4. We will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and they will reign forever and ever. All of a sudden now, we have freedom to come and go into the presence of God or to stay in the presence of God, to worship God. He is justice. He is truth. He is light. He is everywhere to the point there is no need of sun any longer. Evil has been completely destroyed, and it is no longer a, there's no source of evil any longer. And now humanity, mankind, um, we can see his face fully, and he can see us fully. And all of a sudden, we're back again, back to the beginning, uh, where God would come down in the cool of the evening and walk with man and spend time with man. What a great time and an amazing time it's going to be. And we, we read in verse 6 and 7 then, and I want to begin to bring this to a close tonight with, with these last uh, few verses. And I want you to see this as the revelation of Jesus Christ. And maybe the most important thing uh, I can say to you this week, I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Now notice, notice this. This was written um, 1900 years ago, roughly. Okay, It was written in, at the end of the first century, 2,000 years ago. Let's just round. In those days, it was said, this must soon take place. If we're 2,000 years down the road, how much sooner and how much closer must it be? Must it be? And then he says in verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Notice that. Behold, I am coming soon. There's a revelation of Jesus. He is coming. He will return. And it is going to be soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. If you want to be blessed, blessed of God. And don't just pass that over as you know, good things will happen to you, where it's well wishes. I'm talking about literal, true blessings of God upon your life, upon your relationships, upon your um, purpose in life, upon your finances, upon your happiness, upon your marriage, upon everything that's a part of this life. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, not to mention eternal blessing. Okay, he's coming soon. So why serve Jesus? Well, because he is coming soon and there will be a separation of those that choose to follow him and those that reject him and, and say, I don't want to spend eternity in your presence. Okay, that's one reason. But aside from that, there is blessing in eternity, but also in this life. And if you've never made a decision to be a follower of Jesus, today is a great day to make that choice and make that decision as we see Jesus uh, even in more depth, once again, being revealed who he is. He is the one who is coming soon. We read just a few verses later, verse 12, 
he says again, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. There will be a day of judgment for all people who have ever lived. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, he is fully God, okay? He is fully God. Why serve Jesus? Because he is coming soon, and there will be a day where he will bring justice and he will be bring judgment based upon whether or not we've made a choice to follow him or not follow him. One more verse, verse 20. What does it say? He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Three times in just a few short verses, we are told, he is coming soon. That was written 2,000 years ago. How much closer is his coming today? Please, please, please make sure your life, your heart, your relationship with God is right. It's where it ought to be. It's where it must be. If there's anything between you and God, if there's anything you've allowed to slip into your life that has taken first place over God, please, tonight, make that choice. Make that decision. Lord, I repent of that thing. I walk away from it. I choose to follow you because, hear me tonight, please, he is coming soon. He is coming soon. Is he coming tomorrow? I don't know. Is he coming tonight? I don't know. But he could be. He is coming soon. We're told three times as this word of God comes to a conclusion, comes to an end. He is coming soon. He is coming soon. I want to leave you with those last thoughts tonight. Next week, as I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, feed, we are going to jump into a new study. It's the story of the Old Testament. I've put a number of passages, a number of scriptures up there. If you're interested in reading ahead, I know some of you do, a lot of you don't. Either way is fine. But we're going to jump next week into Genesis and into the story of the Old Testament. And uh, we're just going to look at big themes. We're going to look at the message that is like th are like threads that run through the entirety of the Old Testament. One of my favorite studies in the whole world is what we're going to begin next week, which, was, which is um, bi bi biblical theology. Uh, we're not going to call it that because that just sounds boring and dull. It's the story of the Old Testament, but that's really what it is. You guys are going to really love it. I hope you guys will tune in next week. You'll be a part of our feed. Hey, listen, have a great week. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Praying for you regularly. Um, God bless. Hope to see you all really, really soon. You take care. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.